You're listening to the Coach and Joe podcast, conversations on friendship with God. Welcome to the Coach and Joe podcast, now on YouTube television show. And I am with some new friends we actually met today. I, you, well, introduce yourself and let's go from there. Well, I'm Duncan, Duncan Smith. And I'm Kate. And they've been with Catch the Fire. These two have been used before Toronto, in Toronto, and now lead a church in Raleigh. Uh, before before we jump into that, I, I think I told you both at lunch, it's five different people over the last three or four years have prophesied that I was supposed to meet you. Oh. Seriously? And yeah. my lightning... They, they must have been prophets. Yes. <laughs> and so we met today. Oh, and you're here. Why don't you tell me, we'll just start right here. Tell me a little bit about the story. You, you said something a second ago. Your parents were missionaries in Nigeria. Yeah. Your paradigm growing up was more of a strict view of God. Absolutely. Tell me a little bit about, <laughs> we, I say y'all here. Yeah, we say well, y'all too. You're in Raleigh. Okay. We've been in the South for almost 11 years. Oh, there you go. We say y'all too. Tell me a little bit about y'all's journey. Oh, well, I mean, I guess it would be in a nutshell, born in Nigeria, parents were missionaries for 20 years in evangelical mission. And frankly, my dad had got free to be a free evangelical. (laughs) Prior to that, he grew up in a strict Baptist church, you know, where the, you know, he got rebuked when he was 15 years old for not praying thee and thou Mm -hmm. at, at Sunday lunch by the strict Baptist pastor at my grandfather's house, you know. So that's how strict they were. And uh, so we had a very strict upbringing. And frankly, I just did not know that God was kind uh, and that he loved me. I was convinced that he absolutely did not love me. And that, um, you know, I was really into a whole lot of doo-doo up to my ears in it. (laughs) And so, uh, but there was a lot of sincerity, right? A lot of true, genuine pursuit of God. Mm. My parents really loved God. And they taught us to read the word and to, you know, uh, set aside time alone with the Lord. And, but we just never met God, that's all. So we had a lot of sincerity, but we never really met him. And it wasn't until I was 20 and had been very rebellious as a teenager, boarding school for 13 years and all the rest of it, that I met God actually here in the United States, walked into the presence of Jesus on a mountainside in the Rocky Mountains, and it changed my life. He changed my life forever. Wept my way into the kingdom Mm. Oh, I like that. And then, you know, I was expecting God to to pretty much kill me, but he didn't. He lavished me with his love and his forgiveness and his kindness. And But I still only really knew Jesus in terms of, you know, my my understanding of the Trinity was, was really Jesus-centered in that sense. Uh, and I got to university and I met a bunch of people who were shiny like really shiny in their eyes. And I'm like, and they invited me to the Christian Union and they were in revival and they knew the Holy Spirit. And they started telling me that, that the reason, you know, I asked them, well, you guys are just on fire. I thought I was on fire compared to all my Baptist friends, but you guys are really on fire. And they said, yeah, we, we've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Have you? I'm like, baptized in the who, you know? I just thought he was a dove. So we got baptized in the Holy Spirit nine months later and... Life was revolutionized again, but it wasn't until we went to Toronto about nine years later, when Kate and I were 32, that we encountered the Father. Okay, hang on, hang on, because that's where I want to anchor down. Mm. Is your journey into the kingdom 
similar to your husband? No, very different. I was raised in the UK. My parents came into the baptism of the Holy Spirit when I was about six years old. Where in the UK? Up near Sheffield, actually, where you've got some staff from Sheffield. It's a great city. What happened? And, um, well, they basically were hungry for God. They were following people like Catherine Coleman. uh, It was actually named after her. And uh, they had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. My mom read an old book called Nine O'Clock in the Morning, she got down on her knees and she says, I'm not going anywhere, God, until you baptize me with your spirit. And for them, that started a pursuit. They were in a Methodist church mm-hmm. and um, they started gathering in the region with hungry people during the charismatic renewal days of the 70s. Do you feel that? I feel that. Yeah. It's like, feeling uh, by, by the way, I want you both to come minister at the table conference this year. When you're like, do you feel that? It has not, it's like up under the table. God's going to have to stop. Yes. Okay, keep going. So just the hunger. So we were young children. We we started going to these Bible camps that were Holy Spirit Bible camps. They weren't just the word. Out in the countryside. Yeah, Yeah, out in the countryside, in the tent, in the rain, in, you know, 10 inches of mud. But we were hungry for God. It always rains there. And people were getting saved, delivered, healed. And so I was raised in a culture of the supernatural. And um, how old were you, darling, when you got baptized? I was eight years old when I started speaking in tongues, gave my life to Jesus. A little bit different than your husband. But, you know, fast forward, my mum and dad, um, when we were teenagers, they said, we're going to take you to a fire conference in Frankfurt, Germany with Reinhard Bonnke. And we we got baptized in the Holy Spirit. We met Benny Hinn for the first time. You know, the presence and the power of God was all over. And we came home with these little cassette tapes And a year or so later, I met Duncan and I said, you need to listen to this man. He's been a missionary in Nigeria, you know, in Africa and Nigeria. And um, you started listening to those tapes and I couldn't stop running to the altar in his bedroom and just give his heart. I I listened to them (laughs) over and over and over again, just two cassettes. And one day I said to the Lord, I was at university and I said to the Lord, Lord, with all my heart, I ask you, I got down on my knees. I just said, Lord, I, I ask you that. Somehow you would just baptize me in a double portion of this man, Reinhold Bonnke. I didn't even know who Reinhold Bonnke was other than, you know, I had this cassette. And this was 30 years ago. But God let let him lay his hands on me and give me a double portion of the anointing in his life. And I don't know how that could ever happen because he's a German missionary in Africa doing big crusades. And I'm just a kid at university. And, you know, 17 years later, exactly that happened in a car park in Toronto. It was just a let's, unbelievable. Let's talk about Toronto. Okay. Yeah. Okay. 90 books have been written at least. I think it's really? around 90. I think so, yeah. Wow. Oh, wow. So uh, 11, 12, 13 years, God moved in unprecedented ways in Toronto. Yeah. And surely everyone that's listening knows something about Toronto. How, I know that you have been in leadership even since the early days. How in the world did you two get there? Oh my no, goodness. no, it's just an unbelievable story. We were at our most broken. We tried to get into ministry. Um, as I said, Reinhard was one of my heroes. So I thought I'm called to be a, a crusade evangelist. But we're both busted for local church. So it never quite fit right. And so anyway, the Lord had asked that we got the opportunity of a lifetime. It felt like to be crusade evangelist working for another evangelist. But then the Lord asked us to lay down our calling. And so we, after being with them for six months, we ended up leaving that ministry and the Lord led us to work on my family farm, which 
in a way was like the perfect kind of thing of us being dead to ministry, dead to our calling. And we needed the Lord to resurrect that calling. If we really were called to the, you know, to the gospel and to be pastors, it's a, then God would have to do it because we're on a farm. Well, <clears throat> fast forward four years later, and Kate and I were both dead, so to speak, you know, to the to ministry. We could not in any way resurrect ourselves. We were stuck on this farm. And just before we'd heard, we had a lot of people who were going to Toronto from our church. And we decided we're going to go out of desperation and hunger. And just before we went, my family invited me uh, to a board meeting and said, look, you've done all your master's degrees and everything in business that we wanted you to do. You've done great, but we just don't feel at peace. We feel like God's called you to the gospel. We need to let you go. I'm like, no, this is my farm. I want a farm. And so then that was like the second death. Well, just after that, we go to Toronto for a conference, and we were pretty broken at this point. Have the outpouring started yet? Yeah, yeah. This, this was, was in 2000 now. Yeah, uh, I mean, okay. The outpouring had been going five and a half years at that point. But we'd point. been having our children, so we yeah. were not able to go okay. any sooner. And some we, of we our, were stuck on the farm. And many of our church friends had started going, so okay. we were yeah. intrigued. We thought, okay, God's moving there. We want to go. So you, you just and went. So, so we went so we because I was free. So we went. When we got there... We walked in and the Holy Spirit spoke to John Arnott and said, that's the tall Englishman I told you be your first executive director. There he is. That was quick. Yeah. So he does that? He didn't know it. He never did that. You know, he's not, he's a measured man. He doesn't do that. <laughs> Sounds like something I would do. Pretty. But he knew the Lord had spoken to yeah. him. So basically he invited me to come to the church and put a few of the sort of business end of things under, under our leadership. Um, it took us three months to get there, and he put a few of the business things, and three months later, he asked us to be the executive director, and I had nine directors and 160 staff reporting, so it was fairly hectic for eight years. And now you now you, you two pastor a church in Raleigh, but you also, do you lead the Catch the Fire Network? Yes, sir. Tell, tell us what that is. Kate, do you want to? Well, as we know, there's there's been ministries birthed all over the nations through the Toronto outpouring. Absolutely. And we um, we just felt going to Toronto that one day we would be church planters. Yeah. But eight years later, seven years later, we were so bonded into the vision and the culture of the kingdom through the outpouring in Toronto and so loved by John and Carol. They, they've been a mom and dad in the spirit to us and just loved us to life, given us opportunities way beyond our pay grade and way beyond what we thought was possible and believed in us. And so we said, you know, John and Carol, we feel the Lord is calling us to plant a church, but we don't want to leave you. We want to stay with you. And John, you know, thought about that and he's like, well, I'm not sure I want you to go. And we were like, but John, the Lord's calling us. And eventually he said, okay, you've got to go. This is the Lord. And he sent us to, to Raleigh. And Raleigh, North Carolina was a place that we didn't know much about at the time. But, but four years earlier, God had spoken to me while I was preaching in Raleigh and said, I want you to plant a church here one day. We'd only been in Toronto four years at that point. And I said, and it no took, way. It took three ready. years for mm-hmm. it all to be ready. But God also flicked a switch, you know, the, re- the revival, which is still going. It's in a different phase. It's gone from the gathering phase. Tell me about phase. the phase. Well, because mm. it's gone from the gathering phase where everybody came. 
mm. you know, three to four million people. Yeah, it's unprecedented. Yeah, mm. a thousand every night for 12 years, more or less. Um, then God just allowed certain things like um, 9-11, right? All the planes stopped flying for a month, you know. And then SARS, I don't know if you remember that mm -hmm. spiritual respiratory disease or whatever it was called that happened in Toronto. And so, you know, Kate and I were leading our youth uh, conference at that time, 6,000 people youth. Well, because of SARS, mm -hmm. it was like 3,000 the next year overnight. Now, that really impacts stuff. And so God used all of that to help us to discover that actually he was wanting the revival to go from a come to to a go to the world. So it's gone from gathering to scattering. Exactly. You got it. Talk, you got to, it. talk to me right now about that. Well, we well, first of all, the first part of the scattering phase, we started doing conferences and schools around the world and especially reaching leaders. But then as we did that, we realized this, this, we've always known that this is not about the power. It's about the love. It's about the person and the presence of God. And you get the power of God because you have the person and the presence and the love. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people just came for the power. And so when we went about doing the, the conferences and schools and things, people were encountering power and they were encountering the love somewhat. But we realized that actually it's not authenticated until it's really flesh and blood community. And that actually a conference and a school is one thing. But a church, that's a whole other level. In other words, the Father's love that was so poured out in Toronto is actually not really, you don't know that it's truly the Father's love until you're giving it away to somebody. This podcast. You know, does that make sense? Yes, this channel is called Coach and Joe. Mm -hmm. And it's all about scattering. So I, I was just in Israel last week. Oh, cool. And I love multitude stuff. It's fun. Yeah. You know, we're having a conference right now, Heidi and Will. It's great. But what energizes me more mm. is I was just on Mount Transfiguration, mm. and I was asking our tour guide of why do you, why did he he's brilliant? I said why do you think the Lord only took Peter, James, and John to the top of the mountain? Mm. I've been chewing on this for about five years. It's a great question because there's a reason he did it. I don't think he haphazardly did it, and the the Father has been showing me two funnels. Yes, I love the wide gatherings; they're fun, but. The most boring book I've ever read in my life was from a non-Christian sociologist named Rodney Stark. And he asked the question, how did the movement of Christianity with no weapons, no printing press, overtake Rome in 258 years where yes. Constantine declared it a Christian nation? Let's call a timeout here. <laughs> it didn't happen through gatherings. No. It happened in the oikos, in the homes, yes. about yes. probably between 18 and 23 people-ish. My point is this. It started multiplying. There was a plague yeah. that hit uh, Middle East not long after the ascension. And everyone scattered except the Christians. And they tended to the sick and to the poor. And what happened was Rome, which is impossible. How? This can't happen. Rome was overtaken through the message of power and love, but it wasn't in gatherings. You know one of the things I noticed? A lot of young people that... that God shows them a picture mm -hmm. of their destiny. Mm -hmm. They only tend to think in terms of gatherings. Yep. How many people can we recruit to come join something? 
I think it's more biblical to start first with this church idea. So Ecclesia mm-hmm. in the Greek, yeah. but the methodology. Everybody loves to talk about theology and ideology. Let's talk about methodology. Come on. How? Why did Jesus only take three to the top of the mountain? Yeah. Why was he running from multitudes to get back yeah. to the... How about this? This is crazy what God showed me in Israel. I had an encounter at, uh, at the... Jo- wow. No, and one, at David's Cave. Wow. Uh, the Lord started talking to me. Okay. Um have you ever asked what happened in the hidden years? He appears at the temple at 12. He wows them all. Yeah. He pops back up at 30. Yeah. Yeah. Where'd what he happened? go? Where well, <laughs> that's 18 years. Yeah. So we only really know from scripture one moment. Well, when he's born, from when he's born, flees in yeah. Egypt, then he disappears until he's 12. Then he disappears until he's 30. I believe he went into the caves to be trained. I believe he was trained by John the Baptist because John the Baptist's dad, uh, being the priest, I, I believe that when they are going through the, the Torah and the scrolls, I believe the Lord was hidden, being trained in community. I believe it was the birthplace of monastic. I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit showed me that. It was the birthplace of monastic. Remember when John's disciples, they came and found him and then yeah. they left to go with Jesus? Yeah. They were, it's like the Celts. They they build these communities and, mm-hmm. and you don't need a huge microphone to draw people to no. the, when God is somewhere. That's right. You find you in the middle of nowhere. Watch yeah. this. Yeah. Then I realized the three years of ministry with Jesus, half of those three years, he did not do public ministry. Mm-hmm. That means in 33 years, 12 years he's hidden, we see one moment. 18 years he's hidden, and then 18 months of the three years he's hidden. I think the Lord values a more narrow funnel of oikos, of community, Come on. of church. Come on, church. I, think I love he, that. I think he values it more than yeah. the gatherings. I agree. Send all emails to these two for your complaints. I don't want to respond to them. I, I think you're <laughs> onto something because you know what? I, I led a small group this morning. People want to belong. They want to be known. They want to be heard. It's almost impossible to be heard in a gathering. Social media, it's here. It helps us connect. People want to connect. Exactly. It's hard to connect in the wide funnel. I think the Father is scattering because he's always done that. What do you hear me or God saying in this? I think God's more interested in sons becoming fathers and daughters becoming mothers. And you can't become a mother and a father in a model that only has one hero up at the front. Nope. And you're using you home just, language. Exactly. Home family. Yeah. Using family language. You just end yeah. up with you just end up with a whole bunch of followers mm-hmm. and one champion leader. And actually what I believe God's looking for is the entire family to mm-hmm. become champion leaders. Mm-hmm. That's what I live for. Mm-hmm. I'd rather I'd rather spend my life with a few raising a few good men and women to raise another few good men and women than be in front of, which I've done already, thirty or 40,000 people. But when I was in front of those 30,000, 40,000 people in my mid-20s, I realized this isn't it. This isn't where it's at. It's not. No, because this is, this is energized by the life of Duncan Smith doing something. But when you have the Holy Spirit doing something, now all of a sudden it's out of control. There's a bunch of people running with How do I, as a pastor not control the Holy Spirit in my church by putting the power in the hands of everybody and every believer. I, I cannot believe we don't Spirit. know each other. Good God. <laughs> I know. Because we do know each other. We do. I prophesied from stage recently Ooh. that the Father is in process of dismantling huge 
the uh, what you call gathering. He's right. actually dismantling it in the West right now. Mm-hmm. He's dismantling mega churches. He's dismantling the model. Because I don't think the model's evil. It's not because Jesus did minister to the multitudes. Yeah. But there's two or three stories compared to most. He did 85% of his ministry around the Sea of Galilee. Uh-huh. He didn't take Andrew to the top of the mountain. He did take his brother Simon. And you got to... We got. I feel sorry for Andrew. I mean, we got to have enough sonship to say, "Okay, Lord, why did you only take those yeah. three? Because it's the model of connection and multiplication. Yeah. Wow. Did you yeah. did yeah. you grow up with um, this mindset? Like, was this normal? Yeah, I was raised as a Methodist, so small group and gatherings in home. And you know, British people are very hospitable. Yes. Life. Life's problems are solved around the table with a nice cup of tea. (laughs) And um, that's where God would turn up. So, you know, just a value on doing life and family. And my parents fostered children. So, you know, anyone was included in that family. But, you know, I think that kind of prepared us for life, really, because it's about doing life. It's been about it's being authentic and vulnerable with one another. And you don't get that just on a platform, you know. If you're not willing to sow into someone's life, you're not worth being up there on a platform. I think, you know, that whole integrity thing has been massive. The father's been having yeah. me ask questions lately. He'll, someone will be talking to me and I'll say, what if the only way you knew you were a Christian is if you were multiplying yourself into three or four people? Wow. It, Ooh, it makes I people like nervous. Yes. But, but the, the yeah. Lord has been peeling back. This is, let me tell you a fun story. Yeah. Uh, Angel woke me up at 3.33 a.m. about eight to ten weeks ago. Mm. And I woke up, it, it and it jarred me. Hmm. You know, most of the time in the Bible when an angel shows up, it's like, don't be afraid. Yeah. It didn't bring me peace. I was like, what? what's going on? And I woke up, and I closed my eyes, and I knew he was standing right beside me. And I wow. closed my eyes, and I said, Father, what are you saying? He said, look at the clock. I looked at the clock. It said 3.33. Yeah. Jeremiah 33.3. 3. Yeah. The whole context of that is, ask me, I'll show you things you do not know. Yeah. Well, I came. To, I called a staff meeting, and I gave a word. that The Father gave me a, a global word for the kingdom. He said that this is the year, 2019, mm-hmm. of the year of 33.3. 3. And I said that that's what oh. he declared. A week later, in Charisma Magazine, this prophetess from Australia, I can't mm-hmm. remember her name right now, Lana, Lana to who? No, 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 no. She okay. said in Crystal oh, Magazine, yeah, yeah. it's the year of Jeremiah 333. 3. Uh, so, what's going on here? I feel yeah, heaven okay. manifesting okay. all over. Is the father is, is sharing his secrets mm. with his kiddos. And I want to uh, close this podcast and then I want y'all to come minister at the table conference this year on this. Uh, he, here's the secret. A lot, I'm going to say it, and I'm prophesying this, I think, I hope. All right. <laughs> the, uh, a lot of people love theology. It's great. And a lot of people love ideology. But there's a spotlight from heaven on methodology. Oh, come How on. are you doing what you're yeah. doing? Gatherings are not evil. No. They're not evil. No. The biblical model of what our Lord and Savior, our King, Jesus, what he put his hand to, he trained three 1272, there would have been about 100 in the upper room. Yeah, I bless you with the courage to have a biblical methodology and just wrestle it out. Go in peace. Yeah, you've been listening to Coach and Joe. For more information and additional content, please visit bridgewaynetwork.org.